refresher uh, about what was going on. You might remember that we have a young man who has come up to Jesus. What good thing do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus, if you want to think in terms like that, gives him an answer. Hey, keep the commandments. And this guy thinks he's done that. And uh, so Jesus, what he has to do is show, well, actually, you aren't. And let me show you the hole in your holiness. Let me show you where your idols are and says, okay, uh, if that's the way you want to go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the man then leaves grieving because he had many possessions. We talked about last week that the problem is that the more we have, the harder it is to deny ourselves. And the more we have, the more likely for us to value what we have as more important and higher than than Jesus. And in this interaction that is going on, that's the situation in which Peter asks the question that he asks in verse 27. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. That comes right off of what Jesus had just told this young man. He told the young man, if you want to have eternal life, you need to sell all that you have and follow me. And what's interesting, Peter goes, well, we've done that. Now, I want you to think about that and let that statement sink in for a minute. Because Jesus' response is not, no, you haven't. (laughs) They had. They had left everything to follow Jesus. They have left their fishing careers. They've left their means of making money and income. They've left their homes. They're, They're following Jesus all over Israel and outside of Israel. They have left their families. It's not like we get to read about and, you know, they brought all their crew going all over the place and, you know, wives and children all jumped in the boat and went across the sea with them. They've left their families behind for this. They have given up their life plans. They've given up what their aspirations were, their visions of how their life was going to go. They have given up their comfort, comforts. Remember Jesus said, we're not going to be staying in any nice places. We're just going to be sleeping where we can if you want to follow me. So Peter says, we've given everything up and that is accurate. And this then leads to a question in verse 27 What then will we have? What does this look like for us? And and Jesus' answer about this reward, I think, is is really interesting because it's really a twofold answer. And the answer and how Jesus gives this is going to be very encouraging and instructful for us. In in preparing for this, I was noting that this might be now the... Top number one worst chapter break ever. I usually will say that to you. I think this one officially gets the winner because we will misunderstand the parable if we don't read this paragraph. And we will misunderstand what Jesus tells Peter if we don't read the parable. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Because with that, the two are giving two separate pictures that have to come together. So notice Jesus' answer, how he he gives this response in verse, verse 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, is what the ESV has. You Who knows what translation you have on that? Because there's a lot of different ways people are trying to 
work their mind around what this is saying. In the renewal of all things, in the regeneration. There are a lot of translations trying to work on this word right here and trying to get a sense of what exactly Jesus is saying. But in this time of all things being made new, in this renewal, regeneration, new age, new world, things to come is how you should kind of hear what he's saying here. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you'll notice in verse 29, he starts naming off. If you have left houses and family and lands and possessions, you'll receive even a hundredfold. And then he says, those who many will be first who are last and the many last who will be first. What I want you to hear in that paragraph is Jesus doesn't simply say, and at the end of the world, everything is going to be amazing for you because we're all going to be in, in heaven. That's not his sum of his answer. His answer is talking about that there is reward now and reward to come. And one of the reasons I want you to see that is because you'll notice he says that when the Son of Man is sitting on his glorious throne, and I just want you to go, okay, when did that start happening? And sometimes we can necessarily default into thinking, well, that hasn't happened yet, and that's way on down the road, and yet the New Testament constantly says, when Jesus died, he rose and ascended and sat down at the right hand of God. New Testament is constantly saying, Jesus is reigning now. This is the messianic age. This is the time where he is putting enemies under his feet and performing his rule. And so we shouldn't read what he says here as none of it has happened yet. But when he ascends to the father, it will begin and continue all the way until the consummation of the age. And so you see Jesus reigning on his throne now. And notice this picture of reigning in verse in verse 28 you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the things that I think is so fascinating about that statement is that there are so many times where the New Testament describes that the people of God are going to be reigning with him. And it is stated as if you and I understand all the details and all the nature of that. I mean, this is just a very short, and you're going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I would have been like, what? <laughs> uh, what does that look like? What do you mean by that? What, what is that getting at? And the New Testament's constantly saying that. Second Timothy 2 and verse 12. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. And I want to go, okay, <laughs> what does that look like? What do you mean by that? The book of Revelation repeats over and over again that the servants of God are reigning with him. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10, it says that we have, we have been made a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then you have one of my favorites, 1 Corinthians 6 verses 2 and 3, where here you have the apostle Paul where he is condemning the Christians because they are unable to sort out their own disputes. And he says, you know, don't you know that you're going to judge the world and angels? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I didn't know that. So over and over again, you're getting this picture of, of Jesus and the apostles saying that part of the reward is this being joined with him and reigning with him, whatever that looks like. 
And it's stated here in the same way is that those who have forsaken these things and have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you'll notice in verse 29, everyone who leaves houses and brothers and sisters and fathers, mother, children, lands for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much. The other gospel accounts, like the Mark account particularly, really zeroes in on that he's talking about this in terms of the physical, in terms of right now, that he's not saying, and when we all get to heaven, you're going to have a hundred houses. But talking about the idea now. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is saying here in verse 29 when he describes part of this reward of if you've left family and relationships and left possessions and you've forsaken all things that you're going to have a hundred times that much what he's really getting at and i'll put it to you this way you need to know that i have over 100 homes now before you ask for an accounting of what are we paying this guy i have a hundred homes Because I know that no matter what would ever happen, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who belong as the people of God that I would be able to live in that home, be cared for, and stay with. If I could tell you about how many people in my life have become spiritual fathers to me and spiritual mothers to me, In a lot of hard and difficult times, I could tell you that I have many fathers and many mothers. And I could tell you that I have many brothers and sisters of people who are deeply connected, would be even what you would think is more deeply connected than even blood. And I bet you do too. I bet you have people in your life where you know that reality, where you have that same truth, that you have a hundred times as much because of this fellowship that you have in Christ with other people. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to open Peter's eyes to, is first, do you see how much you have in being joined to me? Do you understand what this fellowship is? Do you understand the depth of the relationship? You might remember Jesus even said that a few chapters earlier when Jesus' family is standing outside and, oh, hey, your, your, your family's here, your mother and your brothers and sisters, they're all here to see you. And he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he goes, it's all of you. And he just puts it on his head about this isn't about looking at just these physical things and that's all you have. But in joining to Christ, you have a hundredfold of blessings right here and right now. And that's why then the very last line of all of that really emphasizes that verse 29 and will inherit eternal life. We've got two separate dimensions being talked about. Yes, there's eternal life as the reward, but there's reward right now. And there are blessings right now that is available to those who are in Christ. And so here is is Jesus saying, you have left all things to follow me. You have everything at your fingertips. You have great reward. You're going to be reigning with me. And you have family now beyond what you could possibly imagine. And you have wealth beyond what you could possibly imagine. And never mind eternal life. 
that is available to all who will forsake the things of this world and follow him. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does with this, because I want you to notice at chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, for, he is now going to explain this. <laughs> and it's easy to stop right here because there's a big 20 in the way that acts like a stop sign to us. And we go, okay, well, there's the answer. There you go. Peter, what will you get because you've forsaken everything? Oh, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. Hold on. That's not exactly the answer Jesus is giving because now he's got a parable that he needs to tell that he is going to explain what this kingdom reward looks like. So listen to the parable that he now tells to explain this. Chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went in and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who, hire, who were hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. You'll notice that the parable ends in the same way that Jesus wraps up this discussion about this reward, and he's tying these pictures together. Let's talk about just a summary of the events of what this parable is talking about. You will notice there is a picture here of a landowner and he is going to hire laborers for his vineyard. And he agrees with these laborers in the first two verses about paying them a denarius. We've talked about that's a one day wage. Makes sense. I'm going to pay you denarius one day's wage for you to labor at, with me in the vineyard. Then we're told at nine in the morning, the landowner sees more workers. He goes out and hires them and he gives them the promise that he will pay them whatever is right. At 12 o'clock, he does the same thing. At three o'clock, he does the same thing. And at five o'clock, he does the same thing. He just keeps hiring laborers to come into this vineyard. And one of the big things you are seeing is that even though you have people who are hired early in the morning or nine or at 12 or at three or at five, all of them are receiving the same payment. And verse four is very important because all that the, the landowner does is he makes a simple promise. I will give you what is right. 
That's an interesting putting forward here. This is the contract. I'm going to give you what is right. And so based on that, the nine, the 12, the three, and the five o'clock people all come in to the vineyard. Now, Jesus has the landowner pay things out backward and says, let's pay the five o'clock people first. So he pays the five o'clock people one day's wage. And then the three o'clock people come in and they get one day's wage. And the 12 o'clock people come in and they get one day's wage. And the nine o'clock people come in and they get one day's wage. And you will notice that it says here in verse 10 that when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Now, why do you think they thought that? (laughs) Well, if you're going to pay the five o'clock guy a day's wage and the three o'clock guy a day's wage and the 12 o'clock guy a day's wage and the nine o'clock guy a day's wage, well, we're going to get more, right? We're going to to do better because we've been here all day. And in fact, you'll notice that it says there when they received their day's wage in verse 10, they thought they would receive more, but each of them had received a denarius. Verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. They complained saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. All right, so can we sum up what they're saying to the landowner? That's not fair. Isn't that what they're complaining about? This was an inequality. Why are the five o'clock people who only worked an hour getting the same amount as everybody else here Lives worked longer times, especially us who borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day. Why is this happening? We should have got more. I want you to notice that he gives three answers to this. Verses 13 and 14. Verse 13. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did we not? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Number one, you're getting what we agreed upon. You said you would come in for a denarius. A denarius is what you got. Is there anything unfair in that? No, that's what we agreed upon. Number two, verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Yes, (laughs) yes, you are. If he wants to give other people the same amount later on, he has every right to do that. Number three, verse 15. Or are you going to complain about my generosity? Because notice what he's putting his finger on. While they think this is about being unfair, he says, actually, the problem is you're complaining about my generosity. That I've decided to give the 9 o'clock, the 12 o'clock, the 3 o'clock, and the 5 o'clock a generous amount. You are complaining about my generosity. All right, so you know, if you read that parable away from itself, you'd go, what's the point? Here it kind of floats here of, okay, and that's why you've probably heard some weird lessons from this text about what this is getting at. How does this parable answer Peter's question? Go back to chapter 19 and verse 27. 
We have left everything. What will we receive? That's what this is driving on. Peter has said, we've left it all. You told that man to give up his possessions to follow you. He didn't do it. But we have. We have given up everything. So what does that mean for us? And Jesus now has given an answer and tied it to a parable. Three messages for you this morning. And then a concluding thought. Number one. And I think this is just amazing to think about. The reward that is pictured to Peter and the apostles is the same reward given to everybody else. And that's stunning. The reward that Jesus promises to these early laborers, which would be Peter and the apostles, here they are at the very start, who have given up everything to follow Jesus. They are receiving the same reward as everyone else. Jesus' answer in the parable is what you are going to receive is what everyone is going to receive. In fact, I want you to think about verse how the end of the chapter with the many who are first will be last and last will be first. He does it again at the end of chapter 20. So the last will be first and the first will, will be last. One of the big visions of what Jesus has in regards to what's going to happen is the Gentiles are going to be some late day workers. And they're not going to be second tier in the reward system. There's not a ladder system with God. All right, here's our apostles and they're going to get really awesome mansions in heaven. The Gentiles are going to be in a lower rung. Can I make a parenthesis? There are end times teachings like premillennialism that say that. That say that. That it's a laddered reward system. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying right now. Everyone is going to receive this immense eternal reward. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the apostles or the Jewish nation or Gentile people. Everyone is enjoying this reward. To put this another way, I'll try to use an illustration like this. You might have had this happen to you like on your Christmas Day get together and you're opening your presents and somebody else opens a present and you, present and you go, oh man, wish I'd got that present. I mean, this is nice and all, but... That would have been better. Nobody is going to do that with God. There is not going to be, boy, I sure wish I had a better reward. Everybody is going to receive what is promised. Or to put it as Jesus' words, everybody's receiving what is right. You are going to receive this amazing reward, and we are going to enjoy these, blessing, these blessings. And the reward for eternity is equal for all who will come. Which Jesus in this parable is putting his finger on something that we talked about last week. So let's talk about it again. The reward of the kingdom of heaven is not earned. 
And we struggle with that. And that's what is happening here. Remember what what we have as our context in this sequence. When this man who says, I've kept the law. I've done everything that you've said. And Jesus exposes where his idol is so that he walks away. Remember what their first reaction is. Remember what they say in verse 25. Who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with humans, with us, it's impossible. It's only by the grace of God. With God, it's possible. But with us, it's not. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not earned. Now, this is hard because you know what we want to do? Well, I worked longer, so I'm going to get more, right? I sacrificed more. I had to give up more. And I want you to hear that's where Peter's coming from, isn't he? Lord, we have given up everything. They had. What will be for us? And Jesus' answer is the same as everybody else. The same as everybody else. This great reward that God has promised is open for everyone. And the problem is sometimes we want to be like this young man who says, well, what's the good thing that I have to do? And Jesus is erasing that, that eternity and that reward is not built on how much you can do. But built on the grace of God. And what Jesus is trying to get us to ultimately see is that we would be grateful for being hired in the kingdom in the first place. We should be sitting on the sidelines going, uh, I have too many sins, too much debt, and I don't belong. And you have to love the picture of the parable where the landowner comes and says, why are you not working? He goes, well, no one's hired us. And the landowner says, well, come on. What are you waiting for? You belong with me. Get in. Let me illustrate it in the way the New Testament tries to illustrate it, because this can be a struggle of an idea. You may remember at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Peter that Peter's not going to live a very long life. That's kind of the sum of later in the days, you're not going to be able to go where you want to go. You're going to be bound. You are not going to live a long life. Close your eyes and go to sleep and and, and quietly die. That's not what's given to you, Peter. You are going to be arrested. You are going to be bound and you're going to die for the cause is ultimately what Jesus tells Peter. I want you to remember, though, what happens next. Peter then asks Jesus about John and says, well, what's going to happen to him? And remember Jesus' answer? If it's my will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Here, Jesus tells Peter, your walk with me is going to be rough. 
It's going to be hard. You're not going to be free. You're going to die a violent death. And Peter wants to know, well, wait a minute. Is that how it's going to go for John? (laughs) And I want you to notice Jesus doesn't go, yeah, let me tell you all about how it's going to go for John. He goes, that's not your business. If he makes it till I come back, (laughs) what's that to you? So what? Here's the point of what this parable is getting at and what the thrust of what Jesus has to do with his disciples repeatedly. We are going to have different life experiences as God goes about exposing the holes in our holiness. Friends, some of us are going to have to lose our family for the sake of Christ. Some of us will have to lose our possessions for the sake of Christ. Some of us will have to suffer for the sake of Christ. Some will have to lose their lives for the sake of Christ. And what God is trying to get us to see is this isn't about a comparison to go, well, because I had to suffer more, that means I get, right? Because we can have a tendency to do that. Somebody else isn't having to go through such a hard thing to follow Jesus. And I want you to hear Jesus saying, and what's that to you? You follow me. But Lord, my life's really hard. I've had to forfeit so much to follow you. For me to follow you has meant my whole family has turned their back on me. And that's what it means for you to follow Jesus. But Lord, that means I'm going to have to lose my job. And that may mean what it means to follow Jesus. But I've had to lose my things. And that may be what it means to follow Jesus. What Jesus is trying to get at in this parable is, yes, you may have to give up an awful lot. And that might be different from many other people. But the reward is the same. And it's not about a comparison of, well, because I had to give up more, there must be something more. I believe that's what Peter's talking about here. We've given up everything. We are the early in the morning laborers. We have been with you thick and thin. And you're going to say that the five o'clock people who had it easy, they didn't have to sacrifice as much. Have the same reward. And friends, what is happening is God is trying to expose our hearts to see if we begrudge his generosity. God is not doing us any wrong if we have to travel a harder path to eternity than somebody else. He is not doing us any wrong. I don't have time, but... I would argue he's doing us good. 
The reason we are sacrificing different things and going on different paths is that God has to expose in each of us the idols that are different in each of us. Expose the holes that are in our heart that are different in each of us. The reason we have to walk a different journey is because he has to expose those things for us. And I believe all of us would be able to look at our lives and say, yeah, but mine is really hard and it's very different from everybody else. Yeah, I know. I would agree. I would be happy to sit down with you and tell you, look at what I have. And that's different from other people I know too. And you'd be able to sit down with me and go, yeah, but I have. And I'd agree. Yeah, you do. But friends, if we play that game, we're not going to like the outcome. Can you imagine us like sitting next to people in eternity? Like, let's pick Joseph. And Joseph says, well, I had to be sold into slavery and lose my whole family. And my brothers wanted to kill me. How about John the Baptist? His path was to lose his head for eternity. That was his point. Or how about Ezekiel? His path to eternity was to live like an exile in a foreign land, ripped out of his home, and to live separated. Or what if we wanted to compare ourselves to Jeremiah who's imprisoned and thrown in cisterns and pits and left for dead who's treated so harshly that a prophet who started by praying for the people starts praying against the people because it is such an awful treatment that he has. And will we sit by people like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul who were killed for the cause of Christ? We don't want to play the game of, okay, who sacrificed more? Let's see who gets a reward. And the good news is to the answer of the question, what will we have? We'll have everything God promised to those who are faithful. We will have everything that God has promised. And what you are asked to do to take up your cross to follow is going to be different than what somebody else is asked to do to take up their cross and follow. And the hole that God has to expose in your heart is going to be different than what God exposes in someone else's heart. I didn't talk about it last week. I've always made this comment about the scene. When this young man is told back in verse 21, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. How often people are like, I'm sure glad he didn't tell us that. (laughs) If you feel that way, he did. (laughs) If that's your, then uh, he's actually trying to expose something there too. Now he may not have said that. He probably said something different. 
For to Peter, he could say, you're going to die a violent death. And to John, who would live on and on. But I hope you'll hear Jesus' words to you. Whatever your life experiences that God is putting you through, don't compare it to somebody else. What's that to you? You follow me. And God will give you what is right. And he will give you the same reward as those who have had to forfeit more and those who have had to forfeit less. But friends, eternity is worth it. And he has to take us all on our own little paths to expose what's in those hearts so that we can get them ripped out of there so that we can enjoy that reward. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your generosity. We are certainly undeserving of this eternal reward. We are undeserving of being in your vineyard, laboring for you. We are even undeserving of the great blessings that we enjoy right now as being your children. Lord, thank you for this family that you have given to us. Lord, thank you that even if we don't have a father, we have fathers. If we don't have a mother, we have mothers. If we don't have children, that you've given us children. That if we feel that we lack in any relationship area that you have given us many, many times over. And Lord, thank you for the rich blessings that we enjoy, that we have nothing to worry or fear. Lord, thank you for this, this family. What a thought to know that we are here to care for each other and help each other and that we are richly blessed a hundred times over because of what we have in you. But Lord, the challenge of what you give us in this life can be so hard. And what you ask us to sacrifice and what you expose in our hearts can just be devastating. Lord, thank you for exposing those things to our eyes because eternity requires us to see where we are lacking. And Lord, I pray that you would give us strength and comfort and confidence to walk with you even when we have to give up so much for your cause. Help us to be strong in that effort. And Lord, we look forward to this eternal reward that you have promised. What an amazing picture, Lord, that we can reign with you for all eternity. Lord, help us to be driven by this vision and help us to see that anything you ask of us to give up is completely worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I knew that was hard, but that even hit me harder as I was going through all that. What a, what a tough message. But I hope it encourages you for your walk with God. I hope it makes you think about 
where you are with God this very day. I hope you'll think about the suffering, the pain, the hardship, the loss that you have certainly experienced up to this point, And there will be many more things that God is going to do in our lives to expose who we are and what we need to change. And I hope that you'll hear the words of eternity ringing loudly in your ears that these sacrifices will be worth it to listen to how God's exposing those things. And even if he is to call for us to give everything up like those apostles, that'll be worth it. Wherever we are in that call, it will be worth it. Can we help you respond to the call today to turn from sin, to follow him with all of your heart, to confess him as the son and your savior and your Lord who came to this earth, who died for your sins, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins to start that journey with him. We would love to help you today. You can talk to one of us afterward or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.